Podcastle, episode 344, for December 31st, 2014. Happy New Year's, people. Flash fiction extravaganza. Other worlds than these. Rated PG. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle, your weekly fantasy fiction podcast. Happy New Year's, everyone. I'm your host and co-editor, Dave Thompson. This time of year, the transition between the end of the old and the beginning of the new is thought of as a time of reflection, maybe even a time of promise. We can look back and see the journey we've been on and scheme some schemes about where we're going. Each week, we at Podcastle try to take you to another world. This week, we've got an episode for you that I think does that in a pretty unique way. I like to think of it not only as a celebration of fantasy, but a celebration of escapism itself, and all the good and bad that's associated with that. Think of it as something of a travel guide to other worlds than this one. It's a kaleidoscope of stories. Some sad, some funny, hopefully. All of them thought-provoking. First, we're going to start things off with a Podcastle original, The Problem with Other Worlds by Nick Scorza. Nick writes fiction and lives in New York. You can find him online at nickscorza.tumblr.com. Your reader for this one is a bit of a problem himself, but don't let that detract from your enjoyment of the story. The Problem with New Worlds by Nick Scorza At the bottom of an old, boarded-up well is the world you really come from. You were plucked from it as a child, and all the miseries of your life, all the ways the world you know does not fit you, are a consequence of this. On the grounds of an abandoned country house, at the center of an overgrown hedge maze no sane mind could have devised, is a land where your image is carved on rocks, and written in stars and dusty scrolls. This world has suffered a long time waiting for you to deliver it. It exists to wait for you. In a cracked old mirror you saw once at an antique store is a world where all the things that make you average or useless would be fantastic strengths. And if you could go there, you would be a leader, or a genius, or a god. In an overgrown forest between two lightning-blasted trees that stand like ruined columns is a hard world, where all beauty is fierce, and true power is honored, where the strong ones like you may become as you truly are, without the fear and hatred of the masses lesser than yourself. Behind an unmarked door and an unknown office block is a sun-dappled land where everything is comfortably familiar, yet never dull. You greet each day with the wisdom of years, yet the candy tastes just like it did when you were small. In a lonely sea there is an island deliberately left off all earthly maps. The people that live there are wicked, Their culture a celebration of cruelty and death. All they make is twisted, all their souls poisoned, 
and in killing them, you can know that you are right and just. Behind the world you know, in plush boardrooms and capital sub-basements, shadow-faced men plot to steal the secrets in your genes, or buried in your brain, or implanted in a chip within your spine. They are never quite sure which, but they know there are secrets locked within you. In the back room of a cafe you frequent in hopes of meeting someone is a place where every desire is welcomed and indulged, and just wanting something is enough to find a partner willing to satisfy it. Under your pillow is a world in miniature, where every night your dreams and nightmares fight a bloody battle for your soul. You will never visit any of these worlds. Instead, the new worlds you visit will look just like this one. The same in many ways, but something has changed. The stars and planets move. The light shifts. The people you love are different in ways you cannot know. The problem with new worlds is you cannot choose which one you walk into. The problem with new worlds is that you cannot go back. And welcome back. It can be melancholy times as a full-time escapist indeed. And I appreciated how Nick's story points out the fantastic, if not in the everyday, then just around the corner of what we see in our day-to-day -day lives. Are you stuck? Can you go back? I don't know. But I do think I now know why the guy in the cubicle next to me is always sleeping underneath his desk at lunch. Too many portals, man. Too many portals. Our next story doesn't have portals, per se, at least not in the traditional sort. It does remind us, though, of the transformative power of language. We're very proud to present Paper Heart by Tina Connolly. This story was originally published in Biblioteca Fantastica, edited by Claude Lelumiere and Don Pizarro. Tina, of course, lives with her family in Portland, Oregon, and her stories have appeared in Lightspeed, Tor.com, Strange Horizons and Beneath Ceaseless Skies, as well as Podcastle. She runs the Parsec-winning flash fiction podcast, Toasted Cake, and her website is tinaconnolly.com. Silverblind just came out. It's the final book in the Iron Skin trilogy, although it does stand alone pretty well on itself. The first book, Iron Skin, was nominated for a Nebula Award, and uh, this story, Silverblind, is a standalone featuring Dory, who's like an Indiana Jones type who disguises herself as a boy so she can be hired to hunt wyverns and basilisks. I've read it, and it's all kinds of fun. should definitely check it out. Your narrator is the one and only M.K. Hobson, a son of Buttery Thunder, our ever-reliable guest host, traveling companion, drinking buddy, and most of all, our friend. So, get thee to the Wizard's Library, and enjoy the story. Paper Heart by Tina Connolly After his wife died, the magician stayed in his library for three days with the door barred. 
Purple smoke poured from the chimney, and something that might have been salt tears came in a trickle out of the windowsill, as the magician forbade water, even his own, anywhere near his books. When the three days passed, the magician came forth dry-eyed and forbade anyone to mention her name again. He had always been accessible to the town, at least through her. Now no one saw him, unless they were selling books. He came to every junk sale, every deathbed opening of dusty chests and stored ephemera. The hollows under his eyes grew dark and purple, but he did not speak, would not say what he was looking for. Several years of this passed, until everyone had it in their heads that the magician had always been this way. That was when the girl came to town. She called herself Paperheart, and it might have been true. She was hard to look at, not because she was homely, but because your eye couldn't land on her for too long. You thought you were looking at her, talking to her, and then you found out later you were deep in conversation with a tree, and she had been gone several hours past. One man said she had hair like red-brown leather and skin like vellum, with a fine mobile mouth that shaped words like pear and plum. Another disagreed, no, she was black all over, like ink, and she smelled of clean paper. But the magician saw the way she shifted, and he knew what she was. Perhaps because he came upon her at dusk, in the twilight. Perhaps because he saw her under the shifting lights of a rising moon. She was chasing a slip of paper down the street, and he came up to her, and his eyes lit with covetous fire. "'You are the magician,' she said, and the words spilled from her mouth on a strip of paper to settle in the magician's hand. Each letter was neat black, a depression against the clean white. "'You seek what you should not.' "'How do you know?' he said, though he did not deny it. She touched him with one finger under his chin, and he felt it like a paper cut. She looked at her finger, studying the thin line of red inking the tip. I can see everything you have ever read, she said. I see the lacunae in your search. I see how you narrow in on what no one should know, what is forbidden to be read. He reached out and touched her finger that had so carefully cut his throat. With an awe that swelled and burst in his chest like opening buds, he said, You are words. You are made of words. I have collected myself, she said simply. Would you like to see my library, said the magician. She nodded and drifted along beside him with the clean inevitability of pages unfolding, a chapter turning to the next. Up they went to his library, the forbidden library with the locked door, the library that had not had even any salt tears inside. He brought her into the room where books stacked two and three deep on shelves, books piled in stacks beside chairs, books ran along hastily nailed up shelves on the wall. Back here are the older works, he said, medicine, alchemy, gardening, dime novels. As you get to the front, she lifted up a book. Upon the raising of the dead, she read. I have read it. How have you read it? There are only a few copies extant. I have read it. The magician's fingers trembled, watching her stand so still in the room, holding his book. May I? 
She nodded, and he ran his fingers along her arm, feeling along it like Braille. Most of my right arm is history, she said. I collect it in dusty shops. It is not all true. My fingers are fortunes. I like the idea that it gives me luck, though I do not think I have ever been lucky. May you live in interesting times, he read on one, and your lucky numbers are two, five, and eight on another. My left arm is ephemera, she said. Posters for circuses, music, lost dogs, I have to keep replenishing it. He studied her left arm, seeing the posters as she named them, seeing how layers and layers pasted over themselves, newer ones peeling away to reveal bits of vivid illustration beneath. His fingers poured up her arm, crept along her shoulder blade, ran along lines of text until suddenly he stopped. His fingers rested below her shoulder, where her collarbone would be if she were a living, breathing woman in his hands. There is something, he said, and his thin, brittle heart gave a lurch as if it would stutter back to life, your heart. It's made of tin, she said. She watched him calmly. There's only one manuscript I know of that is said to be printed on tin. It's been lost for centuries, he said, forbidden after its author raised an army of the undead with it. The tin was ordered to be melted down, and indeed a lump of metal was produced, but he shook his head wildly. No, you are called paper heart, he said. My heart is tin, she repeated, even as his fingers pressed harder into what would be bones on a real girl, on a flesh-and-blood woman, a real, live, breathing woman like his wife, his wife, his wife. Perhaps paper could not feel... Perhaps it would not mind if he peeled off the layers one by one, the colorful posters and the dry history, the bits of fortune, the handwritten journals on her spine, the song sheets that inscribed joyous tunes around her slender neck. Perhaps she had been given to him a book to be stripped of its covers, its pages torn until he reached that beating tin heart, that manuscript that held the secret of life from death. His fingers closed on a curling edge of paper. She simply watched him until his hands fell away, fell to his sides. He looked in her eyes and saw that she knew he could not that she waited for him to turn the page and reach his own conclusion, the end of his own story. The magician swallowed, and the pain that had been his thin heart slowly lessened, like a sponge filling with water. I think, I think I am tired of searching, said the magician. He held out the first strip of paper that had fallen from her lips and wrapped it carefully around his finger. You are the magician he said, teach me how to collect. That night there was a fire on the hill where the magician's house had stood. They came up afterwards, those who remembered him, those who remembered his wife. They might have thought him perished, but though they found melted pots and broken glass and charred pillows, they never did find the remains of the magician, nor did they find any books. And welcome back. Our last story this week is Portal Worlds and Your Child, 
A Parent's Guide, with examples by Matt Michalitos. This one was originally published in Daily Science Fiction. Matt is the author of the fantasy novel The Sword of Six Worlds, and has a podcast of his own called The Storyman at storyman.us. He also participates in a blog at norvillerogers.com. Your reader this week is that fabled, intrepid explorer of the fourth dimension and parallel universes, our very own sound producer, Peter Wood. About the story, Matt said, my three-year-old daughter told me about the garden lady. She said she often came into our house and took little things, but would one day return them. Don't be afraid, my friends, but do enjoy the story. Portal Worlds and Your Child, A Parent's Guide, with examples, by Matt Michalotos. Warning Signs One in every 250 children experiences interdimensional travel before the age of 18. Siblings and cousins are 40% more likely to enter another dimension than single children. If you discover your child hiding medieval items, crowns, trumpets, tapestries, chastity belts, swords, etc., take action immediately. Likewise, if potential magical artifacts are found, uncommon rings, buttons, feathers, etc., confiscate the item and talk to your child. Watch for imaginary friends, talking animals, or strange behaviors, avoiding sidewalk cracks, fear of open closets, obsessively locking bedroom windows, etc. Example. In 1937, Mary Patricia Wall, aged 8, told her parents about the Garden Lady, who came into their home and collected small items, bottle caps, cracked china, old letters. When her parents expressed concern, Mary Patricia said, Someday the Garden Lady will pay me back for anything she borrows. Her parents installed new locks on all the doors. Prevention Upwards of 90% of voluntary interdimensional travel is portal-based. Portals tend to be child-sized, cupboards, crawl spaces, gaps in hedges, etc., or places adults would not explore, wardrobes, sewer openings, window ledges, etc. A simple exercise is to crawl around one's house at a child's eye level and install safety latches on every door. Once children traverse another dimension, the likelihood of a second journey is nearly 75%, and trips after the first are increasingly difficult to prevent. Children often gain artifacts or magic phrases, allowing them to return to the foreign dimension at will. Example, Mary Patricia Wall took her first trip to the Horizon Lands, the first of five such excursions, after hiding from her cousins in a dumbwaiter. It fell at terrific speeds, while sparks of violet light spread over her. Preparation If your child is a high risk for interdimensional travel, a family history of interdimensional travel, a vibrant imagination, a passion for books and or story, an expressed desire to get away from family or school, it is wise to buy them sturdy shoes, all-weather clothing, and a pocket knife. Lessons in horse riding, fencing, field medicine, the sciences, and military theory would likewise be helpful. Example. 
Mary Patricia Wall was expected to become a lady-in-waiting in the court of far-seeing. However, her superior abilities in math, particularly geometry, and the sciences, particularly astronomy, caused her to be elevated to chief magician by her third visit, 1940, aged 11. On her fourth visit, 1941, she saved the Prince Regent from assassination at the hands of the Janine, literally the Shark People, an underwater society often at odds with the court of far-seeing, and was officially inducted into royalty by the Sun King. Recovery Many portal worlds magically prohibit those over the age of 18 from entry. Several organizations specialize in sending highly trained child operatives after your children, but these services are expensive and not guaranteed. Two suggested actions. One, make sure any remaining children in your home are not imposters. This is accomplished by holding cold iron against the child. If the child complains of burning, bursts into flame, or changes shape, call this office immediately. Two, make sure all portals are unlocked and unobstructed. Several families have had children return after 25 to 30 years, with the children having aged only a few days due to time dilation. Example. Mary Patricia Wall, long thought to have returned in 1941, had actually been replaced by a reptilian shapeshifter of the Southern Court. Her parents, upon noticing her strange temperature fluctuations, uncovered the deception and drove the creature from their home, a full year before Mary Patricia's actual return. Rehabilitation Post-traumatic stress for returning children is common. Children may have been treated as royalty in another dimension and may expect you to dress them, deliver food, and respond to their every whim. This can have deleterious effects. See the pamphlet, You Are Not Royalty Anymore. Counseling is available for those who cannot return to a foreign dimension. See Saying Goodbye, a guide for 18-year-olds. Example. In 1947, after her fifth and final childhood journey to the Horizon Lands, Mary Patricia Wall grew despondent, claiming she had left behind a husband, Prince James of Pastigia, and small child. She wept often and could not be consoled. After years of counseling, she came to grips with this reality. She did not marry, or, as she said, remarry, and she could often be heard singing lullabies through the open window of her bedroom. Conclusion Children rarely die during interdimensional travel. They may return minus a limb or speaking ancient dialects, but they may also return with enough gold to pay for college. Stay positive. These events often work out for the best. Don't give up hope. And remember to express pride in your child, should they save a kingdom, a world, or the universe. Example. In 1977, at the age of 48, Mary Patricia Wall found a collection of bottle caps, twine, and broken china on her kitchen counter, along with a letter bearing the royal seal and a small vial of violet liquid, upon which was written, For the Shedding of Years. She caught a glimpse of the garden lady, moving toward a gap in the backyard hedge, and Mary Patricia snatched up the letter and the vial and ran after her. And she lived happily ever after.
And welcome back. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I kind of saw this as a celebration of escapism. I've said before that I think that word gets a really bad rap these days. If you look around, heck, if you look back at the year that was, escaping might seem like a pretty smart idea. I used to think escaping meant running away from your problems. The only thing was that when you returned, your problems were still there. Here's the thing, though. I don't think anymore that escaping necessarily means you're ignoring your problems, much less running from them. Sometimes, it means you're dealing with them head-on. You make your fears into dragons, and thus you learn that your fears can be overcome. Well, this concludes our exploration of escaping to other worlds, but I'd be remiss if I didn't assign you all a little bit of homework. Again, Happy New Year. We have this strange little policy at PodCastle where we don't run stories by our editorial staff. And sometimes, I'll be honest, that policy really sucks because folks on our staff do write excellent stories. Case in point, LaShawn Wanick, who wrote an excellent bit of otherworldly fantasy that came out earlier this year at Strange Horizons. It's called 21 Steps to Enlightenment. So... This puts us kind of in an awkward position. I guess we could fire LaShawn, or we could run her story. Well, hmm, tough decision. But we love LaShawn, so we're not firing her. We can, however, link to her story, which is available for you to read for free at Strange Horizons, and also has an incredible podcast version by Anaya Lay, so you can check that out. I believe it's also a Drabblecast B-side if you're a subscriber there. But really, you guys... Check this story out. It is amazing. Well worth the 20 minutes it'll take you to read or listen to. And I think it ties in really well to a lot of the discussion that we've been having this week about escapism and fantasy fiction and portals. So, enjoy. Okay, I'm going to skip to feedback. This week we're doing Joe L. Hinsley's Argent Blood, and that was read for you by Joe Scalora. This was the story of a man in an asylum who begins to suspect it's being run by something other than humans. If that sounds dark, it's because we ran this sucker, pun intended, smack dab in October. One listener, Infinite Monkey, suggested it should just get adapted by Premium Cable with the title Vampire Asylum. Yeah, I would watch that, I'm pretty sure. Oddly, my introduction apparently caused a lot of people to crave pumpkin beer. Like Danskin, who said, This made me crave pumpkin ale, as it is something I have never had the fortune, misfortune, to taste before. But after finishing this story, I'm wary to drink anything that I haven't prepared myself. Well, getting people to crave pumpkin ale was actually not what I was intending with my intro, but hey, bottoms up. Swamp said, This was a great story. I like how the vampires were part of the story, but in the background. I really like vampire stories when they're done right. This one was done right. I guess, however, that I'm not savvy enough to know about silver as a vampire repellent. I always thought that was for werewolves. I thought vampires were averse to the standard fare of holy water, crucifixes, garlic, sunlight, etc. I was wrong. Silver can be quite effective against vampires, as evidenced by this story. I also love that this story was written in first-person epistolary form. 
<laughs> you just wanted to say epistolary, didn't you, Marshall? Well, thank you for those comments. Drop on by forum.escapeartist.net and let us know what you think of escapism, this week's episode, what new worlds you're resolving to travel to next year. Oh, speaking of which, before we go, I want to introduce you to one more new portal, a relatively new magazine that's already received a ton of buzz. Uncanny Magazine has kind of become the it magazine that everyone's talking about and with good reason in just a couple of issues they've run some absolutely incredible stories and check this out they also have a podcast and one of their regular readers for it is our good friend amal el motar amal read maria devana headley's excellent if you were a tiger i'd have to wear white as well as her own poem in the first podcast on candy magazine guess what CSE Cooney, Claire Cooney, our good friend here at Escape Artists at Podcastle, is going to start reading for them as well, too, in January. So I am super excited about this podcast. And we have a promo here I'm going to share with you all. Please check it out. It's going to be great. Available now. A new podcast where every month you'll hear selected material from Uncanny Magazine, including Amazing fiction with an uncanny slant. The kind of stories that make you feel. Otherworldly poetry. And engaging interviews. All this, the first Tuesday of every month. Subscribe on iTunes or visit uncannymagazine.com. Want to join the Space Unicorn Ranger Corps? You can find poetry, stories, and nonfiction every month in Uncanny Magazine. Go to uncannymagazine.com or subscribe to the ebook version at weightlessbooks.com. Uncanny Magazine, where our unicorns are space unicorns. Thank you very much. Uncanny Magazine, folks. It's something I think we're going to be hearing a lot about in the future. Well worth checking out. Well, that was our show for this week. Our last one for this year. We do hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of the whole Podcastle team, Associate Editors LaShawn Wanick, Sarah Goldman, Arun Jiwa, and Graham Dunlop, our Sound Producer Peter Wood, our pal M.K. Hobson, who isn't hosting this episode, but we couldn't have done it without her as well as your co-editors, Anna Schwind and myself, Dave Thompson, I want to thank you so, so much for being willing to share these stories with us and travel with us to other worlds. We do love a good road trip. We'll be back next week, next year, with a very, very special episode by Rachel K. Jones called Makisha in Time. Seriously, you guys do not want to miss that story. It's absolutely incredible. And I think people are going to be talking about it a lot in the coming year. Until then, thanks again for being here with us. Keep on exploring. And remember, home is now behind you. And the world is ahead. Worlds, really. We'll see you next time. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. 
Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. How best to close out this year? What toast shall I make? I think I'll quote from author Mary Norton's The Borrowers. Stories never really end. They can go on and on and on. It's just that sometimes, at a certain point, one stops telling them. We'll see you in the new year, my friends. We may already be in the new year by the time you listen to this, of course. We hope it's a happy one for you, full of stories that aren't quite over and still have much more to tell. Thank you again for listening.